0: Hello and welcome to Embodying Change, a podcast about cultivating care and compassion in aid and development. I'm Marianne Clements, and this podcast is part of an initiative I'm working on with Melissa Pitotti, which is being hosted by the CHS Alliance. Our work looks at the intersections between mental health, people management, and organizational culture in aid and development organizations. And to do that, we've been using the lens of care and compassion generate conversation about how we can improve our practice. In the first few episodes of the podcast, you're going to hear Melissa and I interview a number of different people about responding with care and compassion to the current COVID-19 pandemic, which is affecting most of the world. Many people are talking about the physical impacts of COVID-19, but what about the mental health impact? In this episode, Melissa talks with Don Bosch of the Headington Institute, about his recent publication, Managing Emotions During a Pandemic, Understanding the Effect of Uncertainty.
1: We're very pleased today to have with us Dr. Don Bosch. He is the Director of Risk Psychology and Heat Training at the Heddington Institute. As a licensed clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst with 40 years of experience, Don understands human behavior and brain function. Don is often in the field doing debriefs with aid workers who've been through stressful situations, working with global response teams and providing psychological support for security trainings. He is a lifelong mountaineer with a love for adventure, travel, exercise, and family. The Headington Institute, where he works, partners with humanitarian relief and development organizations, and emergency responders to ensure the well-being of humanitarian personnel. Thanks, Don, for being with us today.
2: You're more than welcome, it's my pleasure.
1: Great, Uh, before we get started uh, in our discussion, uh, do you mind telling us a little bit about your own personal circumstances at the moment?
2: Sure, Um, well, my wife and I fall within that uh, target vulnerable group due to our age, um, and so since uh, last Friday, so it's been a week, we have self-isolated with uh, only a you know a trip to the market here or there, uh, which now in Los Angeles as of today is still open, but what we have resorted to is deliveries. Uh, so we are using uh, new systems we've never used before. So, yes, for us, it's been uh, an interesting time of uh, staying home, uh, trying to develop uh, kind of a routine and schedule, which I find very important. Uh, Mm -hmm. Getting up, simple things like getting up, get dressed, you know, Mm -hmm. get Mm -hmm. out of the jammies. Um, (laughs) So the, the, the self routines that typically are going to work, bring to us or even, you know, wherever we are in the world, in the field you've got to get up and you get prepared to do stuff. Uh, The working from home is different. Mm. And so developing schedules around that. uh, My wife is retired now, but she does a lot of other things and and moving everything to online Mm -hmm. as best we can. So that's the process this past week is trying to uh, adjust to the new realities Mm -hmm. uh, in ways that um, are possible now.
1: It's clear that you... Uh, if you had your druthers, you would be outside, you would be in nature, you would be traveling, um, you'd be exercising. Um, is that getting to you at all, this idea of staying at home, or are you finding other ways to get some movement or things that could kind of get at that personal need of yours? Uh,
2: yes, I, it still remains, as you know, a uh, challenge. I, I, one of the things I like to do at the gym is work out, uh swim, those kind of things, you know, and they have closed down all the gymnasiums in California now. Mm-hmm. So that becomes an additional challenge. If you ever have attended one of my workshops, whether it's in heat or otherwise, uh during every workshop I do, uh people are up. Mm-hmm. I have them up out of their chairs, uh, they're doing jumping jacks, they're doing planks, they're doing push-ups. They're running in place. I, I mean, I realize this sounds a little weird, but I have everyone do that for very important reasons, brain wise, but also just to demonstrate that we can get exercise no matter where we are. As long as you have room to stand up or lie down, you can get good exercise. Now I'm not saying it's fun. (laughs) Calisthenics have never been fun. Mm -hmm. However, I uh, have tried to practice what I preach here in this last week, so I have been doing my push-ups and jumping jacks, keeping up with that. There are funner ways to do that. Mm-hmm. If you're a good dancer, you can play music and you know dance to the music. Um, as long as your heart rate goes up and you start to break a sweat a little bit, you're getting good exercise.
1: Excellent. The reason I wanted to talk to you today um, is because you've just released a document you've written called Managing Emotions During a Pandemic, Understanding the Effect of Uncertainty. And uh, you know how the brain works. So you start the document by talking about the, the parts of the brain that are related to our stress. And I was interested to get your reaction because uh, for me, I've been... Pretty calm through this whole situation and i 've been pretty relaxed until some of the developments escalated to the point where schools were cancelled, public spaces were closed, and some of the people in my social circle were really seeming to be a lot more alarmed than I was or pessimistic, uh, preparing for worst case scenarios and suddenly, I just felt myself really feeling anxiety, a surge there. Um, and I was wondering if you could maybe explain what's going on when that happens, because a lot of uh, a lot of people in my network are feeling anxiety as well. What's going on with our brains?
2: Okay. Uh, I um, encourage the reader uh, listeners to read the um, accompanying document that is going to go along with this podcast. But let me just briefly summarize it. Essentially, our brain ultimately is wired for survival. That is job number one of our brain. Mm-hmm. And we have different parts of our brain that have evolved over time um, that deal with that. The most, Some of the most primitive parts of our brain, and this is in the limbic system that's very deep in our brain above the brain brainstem, um, has a lot to do with survival. And a lot of your listeners will already have li- heard the the reference to the amygdala, which is kind of the alarm bell of the brain. Um, The other significant aspects of our brain that we need to keep in mind here are uh, the prefrontal cortex, the thinking brain in my mind, Mm -hmm. um, which is right behind our forehead. And then another one deep next to the amygdala is the hippocampus. These all play different roles in our survival, okay? Now, when any uncertainty is felt, and this is the critical piece, whether that uncertainty is a physical threat, emotional threat, psychological threat, financial threat, any uncertainty immediately kicks in the more primitive amygdala emergency response, which basically people know is kind of fight or flight. Mm-hmm. Right? That's an automatic. It's almost as if, this thinking brain of ours puts a break on that response on that part of our brain because it's always active it's the survival mechanism is always active for us we just aren't aware of it as soon as any uncertainty is felt that survival response takes control because the prefrontal cortex the thinking brain basically is the break it's kind of like a break on the primitive brain that releases and we are left with the anxiety response. That means we're breathing shallowly, faster, getting more oxygen in. Critically, it actually kind of shuts down our thinking brain Mm. so that we have less ability to think through the problem. And that is the key thing actually, less ability to think through the problem. So in your particular case, it sounds like the first couple days, school Mm -hmm. closure, you felt like I'm in control. Mm-hmm. I can do with this. I can deal with my five-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can make this work. Yes. Um, and you felt like, okay, I have some certainty about my ability to manage this situation, even though it's drastically different. Mm-hmm. However, when you started talking to some other folks, colleagues, mm-hmm. and you f- realized that they were very anxious and that they were some steps ahead of you in preparedness mm-hmm. you then became uncertain about your own plan, your own ability, yeah, as soon as you felt that uncertainty that uh-oh, you then went into your primitive survival mode. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense yeah, so what yeah, i was wondering I
1: was wondering you know should I be more worried than I am because I haven't stockpiled all this toilet paper. Yes.
2: (laughs) Exactly right. That's exactly what is happening to people, right? So we see the stockpiling. So you didn't stockpile. No. So then you all of a sudden think, "Uh uh-oh, I'm not sure. I'm uncertain. I am ready. As soon as that uncertainty entered into your mind, Mm -hmm. you became unable or less able to think well, right? Mm -hmm. You became less able to process it. You showed more emotion that was obviously uh, observable in your family. Mm -hmm. And we're struggling then to know, okay, what do I do about this? Now, first of all, this is normal. We will all have that response in these uncertain times. Mm -hmm. Some of us though, we'll get more anxious. Some of us tend to get angry. Some of us to get more depressed. We are all capable of all of those emotions, but usually we've got a favorite that comes out. (laughs) Okay, So, right. You start chuckling. We all have a favorite. And if we pay attention to ourselves, we know what it is. that's what we have to work with is what our go-to emotion is when we are operating from the most primitive part of our brain that's what we have to work on controlling but we need to understand that this is going to happen automatically okay why because that primitive brain Mm -hmm. again is located right above the brain stem it has connections to all of the hormone uh, centers in our body that flood our body Mm -hmm. uh, with these stress hormones that happens before our conscious thinking brain is actually aware of it Mm. so it's it, it some brilliant scientists have actually measured this that the first spark of that emotion happens before we are conscious of it yeah okay so yeah. that there's actually a little time lapse, it may be nanoseconds, before it reaches our thinking brain. Mm-hmm. So the first thing to keep in mind is you are going to have more reactions. Ugh. That's a given.
1: Okay. okay?
2: It's a given. Yeah. And we, it doesn't help to feel guilty about it. Okay. What we, the next step, though, is important. What do we do to try to help ourselves mm-hmm. put that brake back on mm-hmm. of our thinking brain?
1: yes so this is actually a great segue because in the document you wrote which we'll put in the show notes um you do have uh, a very easy to read list of nine ways to keep the break on um would you like to talk about that at all
2: sure sure the the first one is what i just talked about Mm -hmm. okay realize that having more emotions at this point is normal okay Mm
1: -hmm.
2: more anxiety more anger more depression some mix of that is a normal response given the uncertainty that let's face it is pervasive worldwide Mm -hmm. depending where you live depending on the adequacy of the um, information system it it may be more or less but all of us are anxious right now
1: Mm
2: The second thing I put down there is we all need to realize that trying to keep control of that primitive response is something we all can do. Mm. Okay? We can, we can do this. What the one guy I remember very vividly said to me is that um, you have to remember that the amygdala response is incredibly powerful in our body. It is also incredibly stupid. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) Because it's kind of indiscriminate. It's like an on off switch. So that's where anything that is uncertain in our environment can trigger it. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, but we all ultimately want to be able to find ways to bring it under control so that we can give our thinking brain more of a chance to get back online. Mm -hmm. The quickest or the the best way physiologically to do that is to slow your breathing down Mm -hmm. and breathe from your belly why when that emergency response kicks in as i said a little earlier we breathe faster to suck in more oxygen our heart rate goes up our blood pressure goes up our body releases more insulin um, into our in blood sugars into our system that's automatic happens before we are aware of it by slowing our breathing down it's kind of like we're depriving a fire of oxygen Mm. so by trying to slow and control our breathing we not only is it a relaxation technique obviously but it also is attempting to bring physiological control to something that is really kind of like a wildfire. Mm. Okay, so uh, you'll see in the show notes that one Mm. of the ways recommended to me um, was to breathe in slowly from your belly, Mm -hmm. four seconds, hold it a second and breathe out slowly for five seconds. The reason you breathe out slightly longer is because every time we breathe in, normally, our heart rate slightly goes up. Every time we breathe out, our heart rate goes down. So you're trying to emphasize bringing your heart rate down. Uh So to practice that several times a day, or when you feel particularly anxious, could be a helpful thing.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay.
1: And it's free. (laughs) Ah,
2: it's free. (laughs) You don't need an app to do that. (laughs) Absolutely. So that's the first recommendation from a physiological point of view.
1: Okay. Okay. Got it.
2: Um, The next step thing I recommend is obviously we need to maintain as much social contact as possible. Mm -hmm. Now, as humanitarians, we are very familiar with doing that. Mm -hmm. Many of us work remotely, many of Skype is the coin of the realm, Mm -hmm. right? So we're actually better at that than a lot of folks. The point is use it now, Mm -hmm. lean into it more. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we need to, because what we know is that research clearly shows that when we are more uh, safely attached to other people, Mm -hmm. it literally can reduce our amygdala response yes now,
1: a- I yeah I was gonna say I I've seen this working very well um, with the core humanitarian standard Alliance secretariat they check in once a day um, over zoom and it's not work related but just checking in uh, yes and have they you bring your coffee or tea and it's just kind of a temperature check how are people feeling And you can see some people have children coming behind them. So you can kind of get a glimpse into their life, uh, working from home uh, and they're spread out. And uh, I think it's a very, very good uh, technique.
2: Absolutely. I mean, Heddington now has has moved to remote work as well. None of us are going in the office. And yesterday we had a a Zoom uh, meeting uh, of the staff. And while we were meeting, uh, one of the fellows, uh, I think he's like three years old, came in and jumped and sat on (laughs) daddy's lap. (laughs) We all waved. So it actually provides an opportunity for all of us to get more acquainted with some of the realities of all of our lives. Mm -hmm. And that I'm suggesting to you is what we want to lean into. Mm -hmm. Uh, In some ways, it can uh, humanize our our work colleagues a little more.
1: Mm -hmm that's really good um i also like your next point in your document about having a sense of purpose a yeah. larger larger perspective leaning into spirituality i know it, in switzerland you cannot go to church now in a large um group setting you can't be in a group more than 5 people um and i have some friends who offered to their church to um support an online meeting with Zoom. Yep. So they had over 100 people call in for the service. So it seems like it's, a, it's, it's exactly what you were suggesting earlier is try to lean into the virtual as much as possible. But do you want to say anything else about this idea of keeping your sense of purpose and if you are spiritual, your spirituality?
2: Yes, I think if we, and and let's face it, when we talk about spirituality, uh, aid workers are all over the map mm-hmm. on that as to whether or not, you know, that feels like it should be something that's important. Uh, some folks feeling like, hey, you know, it, the world religions are, you know, responsible for most of the problems we have, uh, where others feel like it's a sense of uh, comfort. I'm, I'm I'm not addressing that. I'm just addressing that a sense of something bigger than we are as human beings um, is protective in times of uh, more stress, uh, and the research clearly supports that. Um, You know, what you describe is now, you know, an absolute here in California as well, and in Los Angeles where I am. Mm -hmm. Uh, The churches are all Uh, shut down in that way. They have all moved to the same thing you're describing. I know the same thing is happening with synagogues and and mosques as well. Mm -hmm. That is kind of like, we've got to move virtually. I mean, one of the groups um, even had posted some of the songs that they found online, choirs were singing, so that they would say, okay, now we're all going to sing this song. Everyone click on it and sing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, all clever little ideas for a corporate experience remotely. Mm -hmm. So if you are a a person of faith, lean into it, um, in terms of corporately, but also, you know, now may be the time to, uh, lean into whatever your holy book is to Mm kind of, you know, something most people don't have to do, you know, time to do. You can lean into kind of like, okay, I'm going to do more reading because that's also connecting you, uh, into that tradition and to that sense of support, um, so y- there are multiple ways to do it. Now, for folks who are spirituality, is not a factor in their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's kind of actually why the the resilience uh, measure we have has two factors. One is spirituality, one is a sense of purpose and meaning. Because mm-hmm. we found those were actually, for, for a lot of people, two separate things. For some right. people, they blend together extremely well. Uh, but for those who are on the meaning and purpose side, it's, th- th- we all are struggling with that what we do in our life as aid workers is part of our purpose and meaning. So to be restricted from that right now is problematic, right? right? It's kind of like, I can't do what gives me a sense of meaning. Uh, but then I think at that point, what you wanna try to do is reframe into the bigger picture. Uh, we know this will not last forever, mm-hmm. right? Uh, for some people, they may be able to actually, Uh, remotely if they've made some relationships and if there's the infrastructure available uh, in the beneficiary community to stay in some contact, at least with social support. Uh, So there's various ways we want to creatively try to keep engaged.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I, I really, in my own experience, I didn't have a chance to think about my purpose until I was forced to stop working. Um, because of yes. my question, I had five months off to recover. And it was after a few months where I could actually start to reflect. I thought, oh, I, I want to think about this. And, I, and so in a sense, this could be for some people, uh, the silver lining will be time if, if their schedule allows to reflect.
2: Yes, absolutely. That's an excellent point. Uh, we usually are too busy day to day to even do that. And now may be the time to just, while all of us um, have some forced, well clearly forced downtime mm-hmm. um, to say, okay, let, let me just think about, okay, what have I been doing? Reflect on what deployments you've been on, you know, you know, go, go take a little trip through history here for yourself to say, mm-hmm. you know, what happened there? Now, I know sometimes that can be discouraging, uh, you know, as, <laughs> as aid workers, we can realize, okay, I was in this location five years ago. We did a lot to try to help. I'm here again, and it looks like we're starting at square one.
1: Yeah,
2: uh, That's a very common experience of our community. But uh, in general, just, you know, maybe reflect on, hey, my actions, those faces where their life did get a little better, where someone else's life was touched. That is very significant uh, for all of us. It's, it's something that I find in our aid community, no matter what personalities we have, and let's face it, we bring all sorts of personality dynamics into our work, mm-hmm. um, but the common theme in my mind is we have some sense that our purpose is to try to make it a better place to be. Mm-hmm. Now's the time to kind of lean into that, reflect on that, maybe even talk with colleagues about it in some of the, uh, your chats together, not only about how bad things are now, mm-hmm. but you remember that response mm-hmm. in terms of how that went, yeah. uh, to give a bigger picture, but uh, a fuller picture of who each individual is and what they have contributed.
1: Right. Right. And I think we're, Almost through your list of
2: yes, we are almost the not, break not that, on. that. Yeah, not that that is uh, an exhaustive list, but the next one is very important, and, and it's in what we've been talking about about manage your personal boundaries. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we are all used to being very um, out there in the world as aid workers, even more so than most people. Um, now our our space is limited. Mm-hmm. Um, you know quite literally it is limited and the social distancing i'm not used to uh, my wife and i took a walk the other day Mm -hmm. walking down the street someone else approaches i'm not used to people crossing the street when they they say it's coming yeah Yeah. that's and and we did the same thing it's kind of actually jarring um and so though and, and in our aid world you know not being able to be there is difficult so what we need to do is realize one dwelling on the on what we can't do is not helping us control that emergency response Mm -hmm. what we need to do is realize i've got to bring my boundaries in closer now let me refer if i can to the the security training because this is a critical one for folks to learn there Mm -hmm. if someone is in a bad situation in a legal checkpoint you know, God forbid a hostage situation where they take control of us quite literally, right. Mm-hmm. To the point of what we eat, what we don't eat uh, usually some kind of blinding of our eyes uh, hooded. If we don't pull our personal boundaries in closer, that is a pan- That is a prescription for panic, which is not going to help by bringing your boundaries in closer. It means what can you control? right? What can you control? And that means you have to look at the little things. I refer to little victories, small victories of what I can control. Those help us keep a sense of ourselves. you know, in a, in a, um, security situation. I mean, part of it is just even that slow breathing. I'm controlling that, mm. right? I am in control of that. That gives me some sense that, um, I have some self-efficacy, some ability to influence the situation. In our situation now, with all of us being in this social isolation and -hmm. distancing, um, what can we focus on? What activities can we do in our small spaces now that give us some sense of I did something? And that could be different for all of us. I mean, if you're in your own apartment somewhere, right, Mm -hmm. there's probably some little thing that you have been thinking you should do, uh, you know, for a long time and you've never gotten to. Mm -hmm. However small that activity is that you can intentionally do gives you a sense of control. Mm -hmm. Any sense of control reduces uncertainty.
1: So we could definitely start working on the, the honey to do list. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, <coughs> I, I, for all of the spouses out there for whom that <laughs> list comes at, <laughs> I, I will disavow the previous
1: comment. <laughs> we can start working on the delegation. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm not yeah. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the last uh, piece of your list is something i would love to hear more about because i don't know if a lot of people are familiar with the concept so could you take a little bit of a, a deep dive on what you present on adaptive engagement
2: yes um so what we basically mean by that to to kind of put it in plain language is a kind of lean forward attitude uh, where you have flexibility, where you, you feel you can impact the situation and make a difference, however small right now, however small. Another part of adaptive engagement means we need to lighten up on the self-criticism. One of the things I have noticed throughout the thousands of questionnaires, uh, we do a site questionnaire for all the people going into the security trainings. We also do it for, pe- for various agencies for pre-deployment. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I notice is that uh, the criticalness on themselves. We have what's called the self-efficacy scale in a critical incident, and it has seven parts to it. But one of them is: Are you critical of yourself in terms of your, you know, performance? Mm-hmm. As a community, mm-hmm. we are incredibly critical of our own performance. Adaptive engagement basically says, "Hey." A certain amount of self reflection in that way is part of who we are and why we all have expertise in various different sectors, right? Mm-hmm. But when that gets too strong, we can't, we end up not being able to accept any failure. Yeah. And one of the things as an aid worker, which all of us have learned in various ways in whatever sector we work in, is failure is part of the deal. Mm-hmm. Either it was the wrong thing at the wrong time or else we, were, we, we flubbed it in some way. And if you get stuck on that, you're like that person who has their heels, you know, their feet together back on okay. their heels. And we are more vulnerable to the stress. Now, it doesn't say we all have days where we're back on our heels. There's no question. But if we can have more of that lean into attitude, with a more flexible stance, psychologically, Mm -hmm. it helps us to move back and forth with all of these different restrictions now that are being imposed on us to come up with other solutions. That's what adaptive engagement means.
1: Thank you for that explanation. I'm worried about our community if we're so self-critical. Yes, I I am too. I've seen this play out in a lot of places where we're never good enough. It's like, why didn't we do better? Why didn't we do better? Even though we're operating in extremely difficult circumstances with very limited resources. Um, I mean, part of the reason why uh, the core humanitarian standard Alliance is working with me and with Marianne Clements is about creating cultures of more compassion and care. So compassion that we apply to ourselves, as well as our colleagues, um, saying, you know, we're operating in very difficult circumstances. We can't expect ourselves to be perfect.
2: Uh, uh, all I can say is, uh, absolutely, the more we can promote that, mm-hmm. more we can uh, talk about the fact that, you know, given the circumstances, as you're saying, mm-hmm. it's guaranteed we're not going to be successful. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there are forces beyond what we try to do, whether it's, you know, militaries, uh, yes. you know, places we can't be, um, whatever. There's guaranteed success. I mean, just because we show it doesn't mean that children aren't going to die. Right. We know that happens. Yeah. And so being able to accept that even our best efforts mm-hmm. doesn't stop the problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, South Sudan is, uh, you know, one of the most uh, poignant examples of that, right? Uh, In the last few years where aid workers I've known for years have come back and talked to me and said, I've, I've never been challenged like this before Mm -hmm. with the amount of death and destruction and violence Mm -hmm. that happened there. And it is eating at my soul because I couldn't do enough. Well, I think, we all as a community need to say that even if you just helped one person, even if you were just there, and I want to say one point here about the power of what's a presence, what I call it.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, The fact that we can even be in a situation that is helpful to a person to feel like they're not alone Mm -hmm. is helpful.
1: Yeah.
2: I, you know, honestly, many times in my profession, We don't have all the answers. People like to think we do. We don't. Um, Don't? I mean, no, we don't. I mean, and honestly, (laughs) I spent spent six years in graduate school and then feel like I didn't learn. And then I spent 13 (gasps) years in the psychoanalytic institute Uh, to learn more. uh Uh, And I will tell you, we still don't have all the answers. But what I did learn Mm -hmm. is that even if you don't know what to say, Mm -hmm. just being present. And And let me put it to a very practical example. At One of the trainings I've been at. Um, within the past couple of years where a, a person while we were in the training had a very tragic piece of information from home. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I mean, I was coming over, there were another trainer or two, you know, from the, that were trying to help this person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, subsequently this, we talking about it. Uh, one of the fellows said, well, I didn't know what to say. And he said, you know, Don, you didn't say much. So like I I'm thinking, well, what are we supposed to say? And I said, wait, wait. In some moments, there is nothing you can mm-hmm. say that is going to help. Mm-hmm. In fact, sometimes people say too much. Yeah. That kind of tries to uh, ease the pain.
0: Yeah.
2: And that can be, uh, that can actually be more problematic. Sometimes just the connecting and saying, I am just so sorry for what you're dealing with. And being there in silence helps. Mm -hmm. So let's take that and put it in the work, you know, a lot of us do. Mm -hmm. Sometimes just your presence in the midst of that gave some hope that maybe, maybe we can get out of this. Even if we end up doing some things that just didn't hold, Mm -hmm. didn't change enough. But for a few individuals, it may have given them some sense of hope. that's worth it that is worth it
1: and it's a huge sense of relief to know you don't have to have the perfect thing to say
2: absolutely because there are no perfect things to say in some tragedies but being there just being there helps
1: so don we're um wrapping up now our time together and i and i'm thinking about where we are in this phase of the pandemic Uh, a lot of people suggest that this is the beginning of a long road Uh, we're now in March Uh, some people I mean the schools in where I live have closed through um, greater part of April but a lot of people say this will go on through the summer Um, it could go on longer it could go on uh, we could be released and then we can have another outbreak. So we're living in uncertain times as you wrote, and we don't know how long this will last. Um, and a lot of times we, 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 we pick up coping mechanisms, but as time drags on, we might fall out of our routines if we haven't formed good habits or whatnot. So I'm just curious from your perspective, um, uh, with you and your wife at home, um, looking to the long term, how do you think you're going to be keeping the brakes on in the coming months?
2: Good question. Um, One of the things I talk about when it comes to resilience is that resilience is an active sport. You don't become resilient by just thinking about it. Mm -hmm. You've got to do stuff and that stuff you need to do some of the things we touched on today about, you know, you know, leaning into your meaning and purpose, spirituality, physical exercise, leaning into the social connection and contact. Um, implied in my first points about how that primitive amygdala emergence response works and how it triggers all of these primitive emotions, working to control them and bring them down into a manageable level so that we're not agitating everyone else around us. Um, all of those are steps we can actively take and need to take to be able to survive this indeterminate time. Now, practically, you're asking about wife and I. I mean, in just some practical tips, which you're, mm-hmm. you know you can get online. There's a lot of groups mm-hmm. coming on with stuff, but simple things like you know look, get up in the morning, mm-hmm. get a routine for your day mm-hmm. uh, as to what you're doing, get a routine that meshes together with the family. Mm-hmm. as best you can so you're all kind of on the same page you know when is the work time when are you going to be putting together you know uh, another web um, podcast with somebody mm-hmm. how do we schedule all those in so that they fit with our family schedule but you have to develop a routine that you develop now one of the things you want to do is also keep markers like a weekend mm. something that aid workers don't do well anyway because right. usually you don't get a chance but now is the time where you can actually say I'm working, 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 you know, Mm -hmm. responding this when it comes to whatever day you're taking as uh, either a holy day or just a day off, it's a day off. Mm -hmm. Stop that routine of working section and move to a more paced. These are days I do special things with my uh, family or or social group or Mm -hmm. special times I connect with people remotely. Mm -hmm. That's agreed upon. Um, Mm. So we we also want to keep that weekly pattern in our head. Now, understandably right now, and again, our community understands this more than most people Mm -hmm. is we tend to go 24 seven, especially in the beginning of an emergency, an emerging complex disaster. Mm -hmm. So uh, and honestly, I'm talking to myself here in my Headington team. Is that there are several of us right now that are just plowing through weekends, trying to de- develop stuff and write stuff and talking to people mm-hmm. to help to keep help us, you know, all cope better. Mm-hmm. And I'm aware that I need to, at some point, begin to dial that back from the last couple of weeks because it's like that's not going to be good for me. It's not good for my wife and I right. for me to constantly uh, be doing that. In fact, we developed a little. <laughs> this is really, this is going to be sounding silly, uh-huh. but I would be tempted, you know, we may be sitting together and I get an email and I start to respond to the email. Right. Uh-huh. And she doesn't know when it's okay to talk or not talk to me. If I'm- <laughs> and so what we, so, yeah, seriously, what we've developed is I have this hat uh-huh. that I keep around me. If I'm, you know, doing work for a few minutes, which is what we all end up doing, right. An email, we have to respond. I put my hat on.
1: Ah, that's a good signal.
2: Yeah, so she knows, uh, okay, don't talk to him right now. As soon as my hat comes off, I'm available.
1: Oh, that's really good because my husband likes to tell me every time he gets an email, maybe I should put on a hat.
2: Put one on (laughs) or whatever you're saying. No, seriously. (laughs) Folks, whatever helps to cue your, whoever, your partner, family member, friend, whoever, whatever your living situation Mm -hmm. is, when you are in work mode, have something that's obvious. Because when we are in work mode, usually it's obvious. We either are not there, Mm -hmm. right? Or they're not there because they're doing something else, but that's broken down now. So we need to give off a good signal to our families, partners, whatever, I'm in work mode.
1: It goes to your point on boundaries.
2: Yes. That's bringing the boundaries in and making them clear to who we're living with so that we don't get in. um, And, you know, self-confession here. There have been a few moments we've got into pissy (laughs) moments. (laughs) Because she's saying, I'm in the middle of something. She says, you're not listening. It's kind of like, absolutely right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sitting here. I look like I'm a human being. I'm actually not here. (laughs) Yeah. Communicate. Back and forth in ways that are visible so that our partners know what to do, what not to do, when to approach, when not to broach. When you take your hat off, I make sure I go and if she doesn't have a hat on because she does her own stuff, mm-hmm. I say, okay, is it our time now?
1: Oh, nice. Okay. That is a very good tip. I'm going to start that. Um,
2: Please and,
1: and we're recording on a Friday, so next tomorrow's Saturday for us, so maybe we'll try to mix up our routine a little bit.
2: Yes, yes, because that helps us keep a sense of the days and weeks. Mm -hmm. And also, I think forces us a little bit to kind of lean, hopefully on those days off, to lean into Mm -hmm. more of those activities that sometimes get a little prohibited by what we're doing in our work, but we can lean into them more Mm -hmm. on that day off or that weekend off.
1: Well, Don, it has been a real pleasure and I want to thank you for your time because I know you've been working really hard uh, these last weeks especially and we really appreciate your time. And I, I want to thank you especially for this, the many, many, many practical um, pieces of advice that we can leave our listeners with to try um, to, to cope with the very uncertain times To know that this is normal, what we're feeling, to lean into it and try to to, to tap into some of the best resources we have available, and to just take a deep breath—maybe more than one. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Forward. Yeah. So um, thank you so much, Don Bosch, the director of risk psychology and heat training at the Headington Institute, will be sharing with you. A links to the documents that he's uh, been putting together most particularly managing emotions during a pandemic understanding the effect of uncertainty and a link to his organization's website um don we wish you the best of luck and uh, yeah we're all in this together so thanks a lot for your time and uh, best of luck to everyone listening
2: i absolutely appreciate the opportunity we are a rather unique community and any way we can help each other, we want to do it.
0: You just heard Melissa in conversation with Don Bosch of the Headington Institute about how to cope during the pandemic, about how we can breathe, establish routines, exercise, maintain social contact, consider our purpose, and last but not least, lighten up on the self criticism. For more information, check out our show notes. And if you enjoyed the show today, please do share it with someone else. And if you're an iTunes user and are listening there, please do leave us a review as it helps others to find our show. We'll be back next week with another show exploring responding with care and compassion to COVID-19.